whatever series, a word that we hear a lot in our daily experience, and you know exactly what it means. Today's message could also be entitled, What It Means to Follow Jesus. It could also be entitled, How to Experience Radical Life Change. And I just realized, after listening to our team, and this last song that they sang, it could be entitled, Don't Let These Words Be Just Words. We see a dad on a video who we see his actions not matching words. We don't want that to be indicative of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning, are you ready to go to work? I ask you that because I believe that this message is going to be work for many of you. It was certainly work for me, not in the preparation of it, in the application of it, in the experience of it. You will not, please listen to me, you will not experience positive, radical life change without becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. You will not experience positive, radical life change that lasts until you become a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't just happen. It's not by osmosis that it occurs as you sit here and sleep through this message. It takes work It has to be intentional. In order to be a follower of Jesus, it has to be intentional. And so, we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to look at how Jesus defines being a disciple. Ten times in His earthly ministry as it's recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we hear Jesus say, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be my disciple, then here's what that looks like. You can't follow me, we hear Jesus say, unless you look like, if you will, this. Unless this is what your life looks like. So last week, we looked at the very first of those statements that Jesus makes, and basically this is what He says, if you want to be My disciple, then you got to be with Me. You have to be where I am. You have to have a heart for spending time with Me. I really thought that that was a little bit of um, uh, an unnatural, it's not where I would have started this teaching. I think I might have started with something like love. you got to love me. But Jesus understands that being a follower of Jesus, that being a disciple of Jesus, is a choice that we make. Every person in this room really is called to make a choice like that today. Whatever. Well, your indecision is your decision today. That it's more than a choice, it's a commitment. 
And it's more than a choice and a commitment, but being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is a relationship. Oh, that's why he begins, you got to be where I am. Because he wants us to understand that discipleship is about relationship. Not about how much is learned. It's about relationship. He wants us to understand that being a follower of Jesus is a choice that I make, a commitment that I make to a relationship. Not a commitment I make to a certain kind of lifestyle but to a relationship with Jesus. And see, once we have that, then He's able to go on. He's able to build on that. And that's where we get at today. This is a tough, tough message. I have wept over this message. I have asked Him if we could just skip over this one. It's tough For me, it'll be tough for you because it's so difficult to live it out in our lives. Being a disciple of Jesus is a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not a magic wand that is waved over us and and, and this transformation takes place and all of a sudden, we are doing everything that we think we should be doing. It's this, it's this journey. Keep that in mind. I, I know that if, if the voice you hear this morning is mine, this is going to be a disaster. The voice that you hear today must be the voice of the Holy Spirit who's here. He must be the one who speaks to you. Can we agree on that? Can we agree on that in prayer? Pray with me. God, I humbly come to you and confess that if this is left to me, it truly will be a disaster. We acknowledge that you speak to us and we acknowledge that we listen. You're always faithful in speaking, but Lord, we're not always faithful in listening. And so my prayer is is that you might help us with that this morning. That you would give us ears to hear your voice. Hearts to receive from you. And Lord, we pray that these words that we hear are not just words. You speak into our lives and allow us to experience radical life change. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's get to work. Let's get to this passage of Scripture in Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning in the 25th verse. Luke, the 14th chapter, and beginning in the 25th verse. Let me just read these first three verses to you, and then let's dive into this. This is Jesus' earthly ministry. I can picture Him. I hope that you'll try to do this. Kind of get a vision of Jesus as He's walking along a dusty countryside. The 25th verse says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate 
his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's, um, that's no way to draw a crowd. I mean, those are tough words. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, here's what he's saying. He says, you got to love me above anyone else or anything else. I think Jesus loved the large crowds. I think he was comfortable in large crowds. We like large crowds. We talk all the time about growing the church. Jesus seemed to have a little bit of a different concern than having the crowds be larger. What if that was his concern? What if his concern was, was let's see how big of a crowd that we can get. Sometimes that's what drives us in church, right? Let's see how big of a crowd we can get. And so maybe if that was Jesus' concern, he would have said something like that. Hey, I just want to welcome all of y'all here today. I'm so glad that you're here. I know that you're here to see me do some miracles, but I'm going to put that off a little while till this evening. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Why don't all of y'all go back home and find a friend and bring them back with you. And tonight, we're going to have a bang-up service. There's going to be fishes and loaves for everybody. It'll be all you can eat. And I'm going to be doing miracles. It's going to be an incredible event. It's going to be an incredible show. I tell you what, the one who brings the most friends, I'll do a miracle specially just for you. And that's what we do a lot. We look at this passage of Scripture and based on what Jesus says to them, based on, on, on what He begins to teach them, we can know this, that His ultimate concern was not the size of the crowd. It was the level of commitment from those who were in the crowd. Listen carefully. That's His greatest concern this morning. Not the size of the crowd, but the level of commitment from those in the crowd. Jesus was not a seeker-sensitive kind of guy. Oh, He loved. He proved that. Nobody can question that. But drawing a crowd wasn't His first priority. I've heard this passage of Scripture as difficult as it is to understand if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We, we look at the, the message that he gives us and we, we, we think to ourselves, I've even heard this passage of Scripture interpreted this way. He was really just speaking to his disciples. He was really just speaking to those who were in full-time ministry. He was speaking to the preachers in the crowd and the missionaries in the crowd. Those who were considering going into full-time ministry, it was those people that he was saying, you can't come after me, you can't follow me, you can't be my disciple unless first you hate your family. But we see the first two words of the 25th verse, it says very clearly, if anyone... 
He was speaking to the crowd, and He speaks to each of us this morning. And as He speaks, we get this word, this word hate. I don't even like to say the word. What is Jesus trying to communicate here? What is He saying to us today? How are we to be challenged by this today? What does this have to do with being a follower of Jesus, with being a disciple? I want you to know first, I'm sure He's not teaching us to hate our family. That would be contradictive to everything else the Bible teaches on the subjects of our relationship with our family. So, what does he have in mind? Why this strong language? Maybe it had something to do with the culture. Back in that first century, following Jesus without the blessing of your family means that you would be cut off from your family. I want you to know that still happens today. I've, I've, uh, I, I can remember a couple of years ago it's been having a conversation with an adult woman. And she was talking about becoming a follower of Jesus. She was talking about coming here to Avalon Church and making this her, her place of worship, her place of connection, her place of where, where she would grow spiritually and thrive spiritually. And I sensed a hesitancy in her, and I asked her what it was all about, and here's what she said to me. She said, well, my grandmother is a devout Catholic. And if I went to church anywhere other than a Catholic church, it literally would kill her. So I'm going to wait until she dies. That's what she said. And then, I'll come be a part of Avalon Church. I'll come be a follower of Jesus. I'll come be one of His disciples. I'll, I'll come and begin to grow spiritually. See, I think that might be what Jesus has in mind, at least partially, when He says, look, i got to come before that. You, you, you can't allow those relationships to keep me from being what I want to be in your life. I, I want more of you than that. What does He mean, though? Hate your family. We, we still haven't talked about that. One of the translations that I studied this past week said, here's what, here's what it really says, hate everyone and everything else by comparison to your love for me. Another version said, what he's really saying there is, you need to love me more than anything or everything else. I think that you really can't take those two separately. You kind of have to to, to consolidate those. I think it's a combination of those two things. I think that what Jesus is saying is, is I want to be first place in your life. And then here's the hard part. I don't want anything to be second place. I think what Jesus is saying is, I want to be your one and only. We want to make Jesus one of many. Jesus says, I want to be your one and only. Couple, they've been dating for a long, long time. One of them looks at the other and says something like this, I want you to know I, I give you my heart. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And the one to whom that one is talking responds and says, I love you too. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I think it's time we take our relationship to another level. 
I, I have just one condition. I, I still want to be able to see other people. We can understand that. One of them wants to be the one and only. Right? So, in that context, we don't have a difficult time at all understanding what Jesus is saying here. But we take it out of that context and we put it into the context of being a disciple. We put it into the context of a relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to us, I want to be your one and only. We have a hard time understanding that. But we understand it in a marriage relationship, for example. Here's what we say to Jesus. I love you. I, I, I want to be with you. I acknowledge your ministry in my life. I acknowledge that you love me. I acknowledge that you died for me. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I, I want to experience your involvement. And we go on and on and on with our long list of things that we've learned. And then we say, but I don't want this to be exclusive. I mean, Jesus, I got other things going on in my life. I do have a life. I have a job, I have friends, I have finances, I have a relationship, I have a hobby. I don't want this to be exclusive. Jesus says to us, I want this to be exclusive. I want to be your one and only. The boyfriend takes his wallet out of his back pocket. He opens it up so his girlfriend can see that the very first picture that you see there is her picture, and that pleases her. What she doesn't know is that the second, third, fourth, and fifth picture are his ex-girlfriends. Look, we understand that. She's not his one and only. But can we understand it in the context of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your one and only? Here's what he says. You can't be my disciple if, if I'm not your one and only. That's a hard message. We, we want what we can get from, from him without giving him everything. He says no. I want to be your one and only. And so, I ask you to keep in mind that, that this, this radical life change of making Jesus your one and only is something that is a, a discipling process in our lives. That, that look, as much as I would love to say to you that I'm going to pray a special prayer over to you, uh, over you, and, and instantly He's going to be your one and only. That's not the way it works. It's the spiritual journey that we go on and in the course of our day, we begin to experience things where we recognize and acknowledge, oh, Jesus isn't my one and only. If He was my one and only, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have responded that way. I wouldn't have gone that place. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have. That's a good thing. Because then we recognize that this is an area of my life that I need to, to, to make Jesus my one and only. Because it's not an overnight thing. 
And so I've, I've, I've written down some questions. There's, there's, there's hundreds of questions, but I've, I've written down three or four here. And, and, and there are ways for us to evaluate, is Jesus my one and only? Here's the first one. For what do you sacrifice your money? Calm down. This isn't a message on tithing. But this would be a great passage of Scripture for that. Here's why. I don't just don't know how you can argue with this. Because we use our money to satisfy ourselves. And Jesus wants to be our only source of satisfaction. He wants to be why we experience contentment and satisfaction in our lives. Matthew 6.24, very clear. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Is He your one and only? Here's what we do. And we, and we, think, we, we, <laughs> we think this is really smart. We go... I'm going to be careful about this. I, I want to determine how much I can afford on a new car. I, I, I want to know, I'm going to, I'm going to evaluate my finances. I want to know how much new house I can afford. I wonder how much of that product I can buy and still be financially responsible. And maybe, maybe in the course of that process of determining, of becoming financial, financially responsible, maybe we ask ourselves this question. Do I really need to tithe on the gross? Or is tithing on the net okay? And here's what we're doing. How much can I afford to give myself? And how little can I give God? Is He your one and only? Here's another question. When you're hurt, where do you go for comfort? You go to a parent? Do you go to your spouse? Do you go to your refrigerator? Do you bury yourself in your work, in your job? I ask you to consider that where you go to find comfort reveals who or what you are truly following. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says that in the midst of a passing difficulty and he says that in the deepest valley. Don't have a situation in your life where you feel like it's okay to, to, to experience comfort in anywhere other than the one and only. What disappoints or frustrates you the most? I want to say that uh, there's some level of disappointment that's positive in our lives, that's good in our lives. It, it's, God uses that in our lives sometimes. But, but what disappoints or frustrates you the most? 
The loss of a job would be extremely frustrating, right? Maybe the most. I know some people who are sitting in this room that the loss of a football game disappoints them the most. What does that reveal about us? Excessive disappointment or frustration can, can reveal the heart's true passion. Father takes his son fishing, looking forward to a, a morning on the lake together. They're on the lake. The fish aren't biting. As a matter of fact, they're on the lake for four hours and did not get a nibble. On the way home, the father is obviously frustrated and disappointed. What does that reveal to us about him? It reveals to us that catching fish was more important to him than spending four hours with his son. What frustrates you the most? What disappoints you the most? Here's a fourth question, a final question, though there are hundreds we could look at. What is it that really gets you excited? This this convicts me because it's not only revealing to me what's true in my life, it's revealing to people who are watching me about what's true in my life. Right? Here's what I wrote down. I don't want Will, I don't want my 13-year-old son to see me get more excited about a college football game than I am about baptizing a new believer. I want him to see what really excites me. I want him to see that Jesus is my one and only. Following Jesus, being his disciple, means he's your one and only. That's what it means. He says he's clear. You can't be my disciple unless I'm your one and only there's no such thing as a part-time disciple. There's no such thing as a Sunday morning disciple. There's no such thing as a, as a I'll give him 15 minutes in the morning disciple. He says, unless I'm your one and only, then you can't be my disciple. He's not interested in sharing your heart with anybody or anything else. He makes it clear in this passage of Scripture we follow Him, we follow Him, and we follow Him alone. It's not a sharing Him with our money or our career or even our family. It's a tough passage of Scripture, isn't it? I'm glad Jesus gives us clarity in His expectations. He teaches this crowd that is gathered. He turns and He says these words you want to follow me, i got to be your one and only. After that sinks in a little bit, he continues to teach them. Here's, here's what he says beginning in the 28th verse. Alright, first let me say this. First he says, anyone who comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Then he says, 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether or not he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he lays a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. They say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Let me give you a second example, Jesus says. What about a king? A king who's going out to encounter another king in war. Will he not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet the king who is coming against him who has 20,000? If the king does not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who do not renounce all things cannot be my disciple. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying that that this idea of me being your one and only, that's not the focus of this message to you. These last three verses, that's not the fine print. That's the focus. You want to be my disciple? You need to sit down and count the cost. You need to understand what that entails. Once again, I'm blown away by this because I've got this church mentality of we got to draw a crowd, we got to draw a crowd, we got to draw a crowd. I want to tell you, here's one way not to draw a crowd. Listen, you want to follow Jesus? You better sit down and count the cost first. You better know what's going to be required. I mean, that's only smart. What man builds a tower and doesn't sit down and count the cost first? That's the message that Jesus has for us today. He's saying, look, I don't want there to be any surprises in our relationship. I I tell couples who I'm I'm talking to who are fixing to get married, I say, you know what? One of the things you need to use this dating relationship for is to minimize surprises after you get married. There's going to be some surprises. But use this dating relationship to minimize the surprises. Be honest with one another. You need to be able to count the cost. You need to know what you're getting into. You need to know what that kind of commitment takes. Before you go out and get a mortgage, you need to know what it's going to cost. Before you jump into a no down payment, no interest for a year mortgage, you need to understand what that means. Before you say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to understand what that means. Before you say, I want to be His disciple, we need to understand what that means. Most of us responded to an invitation to follow Jesus when we heard about how great life was going to be with Jesus. Jesus offers a different invitation. This just doesn't make sense to me. Jesus says, look, come follow me. You might lose your job. Come follow me. Jesus says, come follow me. You might lose your family. Come and follow me. Jesus says, come follow me. You might be killed for it. Come follow me. There are people sitting in this auditorium this morning who really, really understands what that means because they have done work in countries. They know people who have been killed because they were a follower of Jesus Christ. 
they know people. They can call them by name who have been ostracized from their family because they said, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They know people, they can call them by name, who have lost their jobs because they said, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't think that we experience that in this wonderful country, in this culture that we live in. But to whom much is given, much is required. we got to know the costs it's hard for us. If following Jesus cost you everything, would you do it? You want to be his disciple? I used to say this. I'm almost done. I used to say this. I still say it to a degree. I used to say it a lot. I say, if there was no heaven to gain, and no hell to miss, I'd still want to be a Christian. That's what Jesus does in my life. He just brings me this incredible contentment and peace and joy. But one of my heroes in the Bible, that wasn't his testimony. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul points out to us at more than one stage in his spiritual journey, I wish I could just cash it all in. If I could, I would just take my own life. That's what he said. And then his spiritual maturity kicks in and says, but the church needs me more than my desire to end it all. And so, I'll stick it out. He counted the cost. He knew what it meant for Jesus to be His one and only. Here's what Jesus is saying. You've got to love me above all else about anybody or anything. Do you love Jesus supremely? Do you love Jesus supremely? Listen to me carefully. Spiritual growth, discipleship, is measured by your love for God. That's how it's measured. It is not measured by how many seminary courses you take. How many Bible studies you're involved in. How many online sermons you listen to. It's not measured by your attendance at church. It's measured by your love for God. All those other things that take care of themselves, I promise. Do you love Jesus supremely? Listen, growing in your love for Jesus. That's discipleship. Not courses. Not an hour breakfast every other week. Growing in your love for Jesus is discipleship. And so, we have this standard that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 14. You want to be my follower? Love me supremely. Love me above all else. Love me above everybody else. Love me above anything. And we begin this spiritual journey. We count the cost. I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. And we take this step and we begin the spiritual journey. And almost immediately, we see areas of our lives where it's not in conformity with what Jesus has called us to. He's not our one and only. And we confess that. God, this is not a place where you're above this thing. I want you to be above this thing. 
Lord, change me. Help me to change in this area. Do a work in my life. I give this to you. And I grow in that. And I continue on the journey. And that might happen a million times a day. Maybe 900,000 the next day. Maybe 800. But that's discipleship. Because I'm constantly growing in my love for Him and giving Him His proper place. I'm done. Do you love Jesus supremely? Above all else. Above anything else. Let me invite you to stand. Stand up. I want to, talk, I want to say one thing and then we're going to pray. Here's what happened that day on that sandy countryside in front of a large crowd of people. He says to everybody in that crowd, you need to define your relationship with me. You need to understand what your relationship with me is. I'm calling you today to define that. Am I one of many, Jesus says? Or am I your one and only? That's exactly what he says to us today. I imagine that there were some people in that large crowd that gathered around him that packed up their picnic baskets and went home when he said that. You know what? I think that Jesus was more pleased with them than the ones who stayed but didn't mean it. It was just words to them. Same thing to us today. That's what he says. Lord Jesus, I am trusting, I am trusting that your Holy Spirit has given us clarity in what you're trying to teach us today. And I'm trusting that every single one of us, regardless of our, our level of spiritual maturity, have come to a crossroads where we, where we commit today or either recommit today and reestablish today, you're our one and only. Don't know what that's going to mean for me this afternoon, but I can tell you this, you're my one and only. Help me to grow in my love for you. Our team is going to lead us in a short time of worship. This is a valuable time. I, I want you, I'm asking you to tell God what you want to do. Define your relationship with Him in this moment as we worship Him together. Have your will and way in every heart and life, Lord Jesus, I pray in your name.